Let's turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And this evening, we are looking at the fruit of self-control. Now, I use the story with the kids about, well, actually caring. But I think caring is about self-control. The fruit of self-control. And again, this is the last of the fruit on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it's probably the fruit that has the least amount of a biblical text to research and to search in Holy Scripture. But we'll be reading verses 16 to verse 25 of God's holy and inerrant word. Galatians 5 verse 16, so I say live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. But the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousies, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is God's Word. Let's pray, O Father in heaven, we ask that as we study your Word tonight, that your Spirit would lead us into all truth, and that your Spirit would apply your Word to our own living so that we would be men and women, self-controlled, in order that we might bring you glory. Oh, help us, Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It appears very clearly in God's Word that the lack of self-control is a mark of a fool. You can see that in Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. You can see where I got the theme for the king who did not care. It's simply from this text. It's simply from this text. So like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. That's quite a vulnerable place to be if you're a city. And if you're a man, your heart is not guarded, obviously. But let's look at some of the definitions for this word self-control in Scripture, especially the particular word used in the Greek here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 23. In one lexicon, we learn that this word says self-control, especially in matters related to chastity. I use the old word that's also used, has been used in question and answer 108 of the Heidelberg Catechism. BDAG, another lexicon, says it like this. Restraint of one's emotions 
impulses or desires, self-control. So you see a bit of a, a larger definition for the same word in another lexicon. And going back to one we've heard from again and again, Timothy Keller, on self-control, as mentioned here in The Fruit of the Spirit, it is the ability to pursue the important over the urgent. So the ability to pursue the important over the urgent, rather than to be always impulsive or uncontrolled. The slightly surprising counterfeit is a willpower which is based on pride, the need to feel in control. I thought that was a very pastorally wise reflection on what the opposite of a lack of self-control is. It's pride, wanting to control. Many of us struggle with that, wanting to be in control, don't we? It's not just a few of us. It's, and it seems to be, at times, in every one of our lives, doesn't it? And yet, very clearly, the fruit of the Spirit is not one of pride. The fruit of the Spirit is one of self-control, which is a reflection of the first fruit, love. Love is clearly seen in this self-control, not a proud self-control, but a loving self-control, which would mean it's for the good of others, isn't it? This self-control. It's for the glory of God. It's, it's not for myself. It's not to make much of me. It's to make much of God and others. That's a wonderful self-control. And many saints have exhibited this wondrous self-control throughout the history of the church because they were filled with the Spirit of the living God. And that Spirit is alive within us, isn't it? Isn't he? He's present among us tonight. In fact, does not the Holy Spirit continue to want to produce this fruit in you and in me? He's been at it for quite a long time, hasn't he, since Pentecost? And there's a lot of work to be done, I grant it, in myself and in you, but he's working. That's what's so good to come. When we come to this text, we hear the word fruit, something beautiful, something desirable, something divine from the Spirit. But the opposite, as we just read, is the works of the sinful nature or the deeds of the sinful nature, or the acts. But the word is erga, it's work. And I like how Paul does not compare the two. One is a work, and the other is a fruit that is done purposely to separate them out for the reader, to communicate to his original audience, and to continue to communicate to us by the Spirit. So let's look at the works of the sinful nature just briefly that would seem to come under the umbrella of self-control. That would come under the umbrella of self-control or be the opposite of self-control. Going to verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. I think those are actually at least under or opposite of self-control. And then going to the end of the list would be drunkenness and 
orgies, and of course it says, and the like. It appears it's the first part and the second part. And the Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, his final letter, writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But mark this. I wonder if Timothy actually marked the scroll that it came on, the parchment. Because he says, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. It's good to stop there. What is Paul speaking of? What is he speaking about the last days? Is that the last days at the final days? Or is he speaking of the last days from Pentecost to when Christ returns? There's been much debate on that. But often when the New Testament says last days in plural, that's speaking of the whole era from Christ coming to Christ return. Because we'll read the list, and yes, it appears that these will get worse, but all of these seem to have already happened throughout history again and again and again and again. And I will read them for us, and you can follow along. A lot of those are in your notes. People will be lovers of themselves. Is that a problem today? Was that a problem in Paul's day? Absolutely. Lovers of money. Jesus taught more on money and its seductiveness than anything else. It appears it was a first century problem along with a 21st century problem. And then I'll go boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Now, listen to the list. Those all sound familiar, don't they? They sound like our own day. We are living in the last days. But were these also evident in the church of Ephesus? In the church of Philippi? In the church of Corinth? All of these that were spoken were also present in these particular locations. These works of the sinful nature. Along with, without self-control. Those words are related, self-control and without self-control. You, as you will see, you could see in a lexicon. Or you could say self, lack of self-control could be considered self-indulgent like the king who did not care. Was he self-indulgent, kids? Yes, he wanted big feasts and great vacations and, of course, wonderful parties. He was self-indulgent. But self-indulgence, as we see here, is a work not of the spirit, but a work of the sinful nature that still indwells us. Although we have been born again, we still struggle with the old man and the old woman, still needing to put it to death, to crucify the sinful nature, as the Apostle Paul says here in the context in verse 24. Again, Paul lays it out for his hearers both here in our text, but also as he wrote to Timothy. And really nothing has changed, has it? These same sins, along without self-control, still live 
amongst us. And from time to time, they can grip us, can't they? We can be all about ourselves, can't we? So easily. Like that. And so we come with humility, knowing our weakness. That's why Paul is writing to a church with lots of weaknesses. But he says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The Spirit is working in you to help you in your weakness. To overcome that besetting sin of, well, lacking self-control or self-indulgence. And, and the fact is, as we, as we the saints, walk this narrow road, going towards glory, are we not always struggling along the path? Is not the evil one always tempting and firing the fiery darts of his evil intentions at us? We're always struggling, aren't we? Even Jesus helps us when we pray. Keep us from temptation. Jesus knows we will be forever tempted and stumbling and tripping. But the last part of the prayer is deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one, for the one who hates me. Isn't that a wondrous way to end the prayer? And so we come to the Holy Spirit and we say, oh, Holy Spirit, help me. Deliver me from the evil one. Deliver me from myself, from my selfishness, from my self-indulgence, from my temptations. Deliver me. We get some understanding of this word, self-control from Paul's pointed preaching. From Paul's pointed preaching. As you know, the Apostle Paul was a pointed preacher. He got to the gist of the problem very quickly. And when Paul was under arrest, basically arrest in the palace there in Caesarea, he came before a man named Felix and Drusilla. And we see in Acts chapter 24, verse 24, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul, dis uh, as Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, and I think in that order is a good thing to have, Felix was afraid. This is a man of position and power. He's starting to squirm. He's, he's not settled anymore. He's afraid. And then he says, that's enough for now. Because he sort of liked Paul. I think he also wanted to get some money from Paul as well. That's always another reason maybe he liked Paul. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. Now, this word self-control, it is, I believe, important for us to see that as Paul is preaching, because yes, he is speaking of righteousness, the righteousness of the kingdom of heaven that can be found in Jesus Christ. But if we are going to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Paul is always an evangelist, we must be men and women who are self-controlled with chastity, right? We must be men and women of chastity. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about because the woman and the man represented here, Felix was on his third marriage, all broken by adultery. And Drusilla was the youngest daughter of Herod Agrippa I. And Felix had seduced her 
rightful she had reduced her from her rightful husband with the aid from a Cypriotic magician. So he was also into the occult. But you can see, Paul knows who he's preaching to. He knows exactly what Felix and Drusilla need to hear. You must live self-controlled, chaste lives to follow Jesus. You can't be living in this life of, you know, swapping husbands. No, you must be chaste, Felix. You must be chaste, Drusilla. I love this about the Apostle Paul because a lot of us would shrink from this kind of preaching, wouldn't we? The Apostle Paul doesn't shrink from it at all. In the lion's mouth, he preaches to a man who has the power to squash him. And yet he still says, Oh, Felix, oh, Drusilla, I love you enough to tell you the truth, to speak of Christ's righteousness, and to speak of a life of chastity that you need to live, and of the judgment to come. I want you to see you there in the judgment. I want to see you alive in Christ. Don't you love that about the Apostle Paul? He's in prison and he's preaching to his, basically, his overlords that they would repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, it makes your heart sing. It makes the word of God, oh, when you hear it, it makes total sense because this is a man who loves people and so he's calling them to self-control as the Holy Spirit is calling you and I. We are just in need of self-control when it comes to chastity as any other generation that has ever existed, but even more so because we are bombarded by unchaste realities without end. Our instruments in our hands, these wonderful phones that I had a bunch of teenagers at my house, it seems like everybody's packing one. You know, they all got one with a big screen. It's amazing. And I'm thinking about that instrument is used for lots of unchastity. It's a dangerous instrument when it comes to a life of self-control. We must use it wisely. Because God has called us to chastity, which is Christ's conformity, which is godliness, which brings us to the other man, Peter, and Peter's urgent call to godliness in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. I read, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. I love that. Make every effort, young people, to add to your faith. Don't slack in reading the word of God. Don't slack on praying. Don't slack on serving. Don't slack on not coming to worship. No, no, no. Do it all and do it with even more eagerness, even more vitality. I speak to young people, but I speak to old people the same. No, we all need this. We all need this word. This is the word of God for us of every generation and of every age. Make every effort to your faith. Your faith in who? Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Goodness and to goodness, knowledge and to knowledge, self-control and to self-control, perseverance and to perseverance, godliness and to godliness, brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities, in increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from the, his past sins. It's almost like, wake up! 
Let the, let the scales fall from your eyes. Don't you see you're forgiven? Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome in the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Beautiful. I think I missed that other phrase, that other line, didn't I? I was checking that. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. So you and I are to make every effort to our faith. Our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be paramount in everything we do. Our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ should extend to every square inch of our existence. In our homes, at our tables, at our bedside, on our commutes, in the classroom, or the online classroom, or the classroom in your home, or in your community, or your neighborhood. Every square inch is for God. Even this list clearly proclaims the need for self-control, doesn't it? It clearly proclaims a need for self-control. But we know that the self-control is one of a supernatural inbreaking of the Spirit that can make it real. And what is very clear that these qualities keep us from being ineffective and unproductive in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I found that to be fascinating. In the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when the Bible talks about knowledge, it doesn't talk just about intellectual information. It is talking about knowing and living. So if you are exhibiting these characteristics, if you are praying for the Holy Spirit to give you these beautiful fruit, you will not be ineffective and unproductive in your living and breathing and serving for Jesus. And what will this produce in you? A greater assurance, won't it? A greater certainty that God loves you. A greater certainty that the kingdom of heaven is not just for others, but it's for me too. And it's all of grace. It's all of grace. There my calling and election is sure. And I love the end. The end, this is the idea of the rich welcome into the eternal kingdom that awaits all those who pursue Christ. How do you want to enter into eternity? Do you want to enter into eternity? Sloughing off? Not asking for the fruit of the Spirit? How do you want to enter into the promised land? How do you want to enter? In obedience, don't you? Because that's the fruit of faith, isn't it? Obedience is the fruit of faith that supernaturally made its work in me. I don't want to fade out. I want to become more zealous as I reach the end of the finish line. I want to run harder. I want my lung and my spiritual lungs to burn and my heart to beat. And so often as we run this long race, we become spiritually lazy. Don't you feel it sometimes as you're aging? Sometimes you, you, it's like you get closer, but there's a place where you've run the race. And you're slacking. That rich welcome is for all. 
But how much more joyous will it be when you're running with all your, with all your joy, with all your strength and the power of the Spirit? Well, brothers and sisters, I know the time is short. Every one of us will one day no longer be. Our hearts will stop. Life will be no more in this world. And as that day is approaching for all of us, what do you want to be known for amongst the saints? Fruitless or full of fruit? Full of sap. You know, I love how the word of God talks to be full of sap in old age. That was shown to me by a dear saint. And that's been a dear passage, full of sap no matter the age. Because this world is passing away, there's only one kingdom that matters, it's his. His glorious kingdom, purchased in his blood, proclaimed with reality when he blew out of the grave. And he ascended into heaven and is still interceding for us and he's coming back. I want to bear fruit. I don't want to be fruitless. Oh, Holy Spirit, help me. Oh, Holy Spirit, help you. And it's these fruit, it is these fruit of the Spirit that bring true joy and true unity and true power in the church for his glory and for the good of the saints. Let's pray, oh, Father in heaven. I'm so thankful that your word is open and that we can study it together, that we can be amazed at how your spirit worked through Peter and Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ and all the saints, that they would bear fruit, that they would be made more certain of their calling, of their election. And, oh, Heavenly Father, would you be working in us by your spirit so that we would be men and women who can see this fruit coming out of our hearts and out of our minds and out of our mouths so that you would be glorified in us and so that when we cross the finish line and we go across the Jordan, we will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter your rest. What a welcome that will be. What a welcome that will be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.